0: Hello friends, you are listening to episode 23 of the Unschool Files podcast. I'm your host, Megan, and this is a podcast that celebrates and examines the many ways that folks live life without school. I'm really excited to bring you this conversation that I had with Nina Palmo. She's a mother, a blogger, and a sociology professor who's also raising two self-directed daughters with an approach that she calls wildflower parenting. We discuss straddling academics with an unschooling foundation. Uh, the importance of community and the role it plays in raising up children, and creative ways and solutions to help working parents with their home learners. And of course, we talk more about her parenting approach, Wildflower Parenting. So join me in welcoming Nina to the podcast. Hi, Nina. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for taking time to be with me. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. um why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself for those who may not be familiar with you and your relationship to unschooling or self-directed learning?
1: Sure. Yeah. So my name is Nina and I'm a mom of two kids, ages nine and seven. I also teach at university. So that's my other connection to education aside from being a homeschooling kind of self-directed learning parent. Um, in terms of kind of our history I think I had, I think I had the opposite experience of many homeschooling parents. So a yeah. lot of homeschoolers, it seems after talking to many, many of them, most people seem to have started out thinking, you know, I'm, I'm going to recreate school at home. And then they loosen up over time. And yeah. we actually had the opposite, of, opposite experience. We started out really as unschoolers. I think, you know, everybody starts out as an unschooler at birth, you know, <laughs> we haven't really gotten yeah. to the point where you're signing your. Uh, newborn up for lessons yet, so you kind of take that approach early on, um, and we, you know, we kept that approach up for a long time, but as my um, oldest kid got to be around seven, eight, we started to add a, just a tiny bit of more formal education as well, so um, I really have, I really enjoy the philosophy of unschooling, and I find a lot of inspiration in it, but mm-hmm. I wouldn't really classify us as strict unschoolers at this stage.
0: Yeah, okay, so um what would you describe your homeschooling as?
1: That's a great question. <laughs> I think like <laughs> a lot of homeschoolers, none of the labels really fit us. Um, you know, sometimes maybe eclectic is, is the best word for it. Yeah. It's very, you know, it's, we do the majority of our time is spent just doing self-directed projects. The kids get into things and they do them and they pursue their interests. But I also do kind of keep a little bit of tabs on just some of the basic academics that they might need should they ever decide that they want to go back to a traditional school or go to a traditional school they've never been to one um and just to kind of have have that in our back pocket so they have that knowledge should they ever need it but the majority of our time by far is is spent doing kind of unschooling
0: yeah okay so um would you say that maybe like okay so I'm thinking you're a professor you're in academia right? right so would you say that it might be a fair conclusion um, that academia and um, just education in general is kind of woven into the way you guys live? Um, and maybe is it is it at all self-chosen by your children to, to tap into those basics or is it strictly... Um, you and your partner kind of deciding, Hey, we want to do these things and make sure these things are done. And how do you guys decide like what to do and how do you, and how do you do it if most of it is self-directed?
1: Right. Yeah. So it, it really is. I think we do probably have a family culture of just pursuing our own interests. And so mm-hmm. the kids see us doing things that we're interested in. Um, my husband has a fairly traditional nine to five job, but he's always like working in his like wood shop, making things and he gets really into specific interests that he does for a little while my interests tend to be a little bit more theoretical. Like I get really into reading about things and writing about them. So it's harder for kids to observe that, but we still are always, you know, talking about different things that we're interested in in, and different ideas. And so we're just big on discussions and um, interests. And so the kids do, I think, probably take that to heart. I hope.
0: Yeah. You know, I think it's really relatable. um, This idea of, really um, liking the, the kind of theme of unschooling and, and generally honoring um, your child's interests and kind of how they wanna be in the world while also kind of straddling the academic world a little bit. I feel like there are a lot of families who fall into this idea of eclectic um, homeschooling or all the other you know interesting labels that we come up with um, to call these like piecemealed ways of being. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it's, it's really important to share this, this approach because you are somebody who kind of um, keeps the, the reading, writing, arithmetic sort of things up to par um, should they ever mm-hmm. choose to go back to school while also still honoring and respecting um, them as whole people and kind of what they want to do with their, with their time. And I think that representation really matters.
1: Yeah, I think it's great to see a variety of approaches. And in my job as a professor, I've had the good fortune of seeing students who have been successful come from a lot of different backgrounds. Obviously, the majority come from public school, but there are also plenty of students who come from private schools homeschooling, more unschooling type situations. I know I had one really amazing student who said she was car schooled is how she referred to it because (laughs) they're always like driving to things. And and that's when they had their discussions and maybe did the occasional workbook. And, you know, I've seen that there are a variety of ways to succeed. And I think the two things that you really need are you have to feel good about it as a parent and your kids have to be thriving. You know, they have to be happy most of the time. No kid is going to be happy all the time. But if you generally feel like deep down, like, you know what, they're, they're doing well, they're happy and you feel good about it, then your two requirements are met. I think that's, you know, those are the two things you need. And there are no other things that are really necessary, I think, in order to succeed.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I think it's just really, really important, if not critical to unschooling, to really highlight that being unschooled or approaching um, school in this very deconstructed way and kind of choosing your own path, it does not divorce you from um, education or academics or right. it's it's not rejecting all ideas. Um, and there is this importance of partnership and power sharing. And that's really where the real delight in, in unschooling is. And I feel like that can actually still be attained um, even while your children are traditionally schooled. You can still maneuver systems Absolutely. while maintaining that. Um, and just for so long, I felt personally here um, that Like there was a lot of dogma in the way I was approaching unschooling as a person. I was really Mm -hmm. married to the ideals until I like realized, oh, we've outgrown some of these things and my children are asking for more or they want me to hold the line here or they need me to provide something over here that they're missing. And I'm noticing that, you know, it's being it's being in tune and noticing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I don't think anybody has ever, no successful homeschooler has ever decided, you know, okay, my kid is five, so here's our path. And then they just followed that path all the way through 18 and then they were done. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't yeah. think that's ever happened in the history of homeschooling. You really have to kind of, it's a trial and error process for everybody. And you really have to be attuned to what's working for everybody and, and what isn't and to kind of readjust frequently.
0: Yeah, Absolutely. Um, I read a blog post of yours, uh, when I was reading up on your blog and I just wanted to share these words before, um, before I ask you the next question, because I really just wanted people to hear this. And this wasn't one of those things that I wanted to say, Hey, go check out our blog and read it because it just, it touched me that much reading it. Um, you wrote wildflowers are a part of a complex ecosystem that makes life possible and along the way, more beautiful. Their beauty lies in being exactly who they're supposed to be. Some wildflowers are brightly colored and others are subtler in their appearance. Some reach for the sky and others stay close to the earth. Some flower early in the season and others late. They turn out exactly as they should and no one needs to stand over them, pruning and weeding and watering, pushing them to try to just be a little more brightly colored and to stop standing out so much. Wildflowers were never meant to be perfectly a manicured garden and that's what makes them beautiful. So I wanted to ask you, to talk to me about what you call wildflower parenting.
1: Sure, yeah. So the last part of, of this where, you know, wildflowers were never meant to be a perfectly manicured garden, I, it really appealed to me because nature is also really important to us. And there's this idea with wildflowers is they, they grow freely, which doesn't mean that they grow without any input at all. You still have to put a little bit of work into it, especially early on. But you're not there saying, like, here's my preconceived idea of what my garden of children is going to look like. Instead, Mm -hmm. it's all about kind of letting them grow into who they already are. And I think anybody who has a child, especially if you have more than one child, you can see just how, you know, they are their own being. And your job is to support that and provide an environment that can make it possible for them to thrive, but not to shape them to be a particular ideal, a particular thing that you have in mind.
0: Yeah. And just think yes. that's so beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it's so yeah. wonderful because it's just it remind. It's just such a reminder that they're all so different, and exactly. you can't. There's just not a one size fits all. There's not one approach, and life without school can come in so many different ways.
1: Exactly. Yeah, I always hear from people who say, you know, like. They were too much as kids, you know. Like this is why they're in homeschoolers or unschoolers now because they're always told they need to tone it down. They're too much, and so mm-hmm. these are the wildflowers. I think of as being really brightly colored, and I wish that those people who had the opportunity to just stand out and be exactly who they are, you know, how great yeah. would, have, would that have been for the world and for them. Personally, I think I'm more of the subtle wildflower. You know, (laughs) I I don't really stand out in a group, especially in elementary school. My schooling experience, I was more of like a wallflower, (laughs) not not a wildflower, uh, probably because I wasn't entirely comfortable always. Um, But it's also fine to be a little bit subtler in your appearance. You know, not everybody has to be the the one who's, you know, like reaching for for the sky the most and um, putting on the brightest display. So it's really about, um, and I think that happens with kids too, is that some kids are told they're too much, but some kids are told they're too little, they're too shy, they need to get out there. And um, I think our job as parents is to really embrace who they are and not to try to get them to be just a little bit more something.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think leaning into who they are is people asking them how they are, what they're feeling, mm-hmm. what they've been thinking about, um, what they dream about, what their favorite foods are, making their favorite foods with them, just knowing them, getting to know them. And they're changing all the time too. So like exactly. keeping up with the changes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They change fast sometimes. <laughs> oh my gosh. So fast. So fast. My, I, we're personally in a season of growth in unschooling where, you know, we, we, we're kind of coming out of a phase of a lot of a lot of open-ended just free playing and exploring we traveled overseas and did it over there and then came back and did it here and then you know the pandemic hit and so that happened but um Mm -hmm. now that we are kind of getting back to things it looks different we're in a different season I have a, a high schooler who's asking for a little bit more accountability and some framework around, you know, what to do and where they're going. And, um, it's really important to listen to that. And if I was really married to the idea of like making sure that the, the mysterious homeschooling and unschooling police don't come and like knock on my door and tell me (laughs) I'm not unschooling correctly. (laughs) Um, if I was married to that idea, I would like resist them wanting, you know, anything structured or um, anything that looked like school. And that would be silly because exactly, yeah. that's not what they're asking for.
1: <laughs> exactly. Having a kid who's you know thriving and growing. That's the only thing I'm married to.
0: Absolutely. So it's just for me constantly coming back to connecting with them, keeping preserving the relationship um, with them and that that trust um, exactly. between us so that whatever choices we're making we're making them out of a, a trusting relationship with each other that we're trying this thing out and it's and it's something that we're both into
1: exactly <laughs> and yeah. when it's
0: not we trust that um, what we're saying is true you know
1: right exactly yeah yeah, actually, you know, if you want to go a little bit deeper into the kind of wildflower analogy, it also comes from the work of a sociologist. I'm a sociologist as well, but there's a sociologist, Annette LaRoe, who wrote this book, Unequal Childhoods. Um, and I've been of,
0: reading. Yeah. I saw it on your blog, and I've been reading it since I saw it on your blog. Yeah, that was
1: also, you know, part of the inspiration for, for this approach for me was looking at kind of the two parenting styles she described, and they each have some pros and cons, and I think there's really room to take the best of both worlds mm-hmm. from that and create a new approach. Um, So she talks a lot about having um, what kind of middle class and upper middle class families do today is concerted cultivation, which is this gardening analogy where you're trying to produce a specific kind of child, which I think is what kind of modern parenting is all about, especially parents who are very um, driven for their kids to succeed. And so these are the kind of the overscheduling parents who have their kids in you know, like French lessons, Mandarin lessons, horseback riding lessons, soccer, piano, violin, Mm -hmm. all of the things. And so these kids often grow up with um, a pretty good idea of how to interact in new situations, how to advocate for themselves with other adults, how to kind of play the game in terms of power dynamics. Um, and so they often do um, do quite well in these types of settings in the future. But what they lack is this chance to play with their friends, develop really close bonds with their siblings, um, just kind of be a kid, you know, just like having those yeah. days that I think our generation mostly still had, where you could just kind of like do your own thing without anybody evaluating whether your playground game of soccer was good enough. <laughs> um, so that's the one approach is the concerted cultivation. And then on the other hand, Annette LaRoe talks about this accomplishment of natural growth, which is more common in families who might lack, as lack the economic stability that middle class mm-hmm. and above families have, um, typically like working class families. They're the ones who their kids have this freedom to play with the neighborhood kids and cousins and siblings, and they're out there being kids, but they don't really have the time necessarily to really spend a lot of time reasoning with their kids. You know, they're, they're right. super busy at work, wrapped up in a lot of adult responsibilities, and they're not necessarily engaging with their kids. They tell them, you know, no, we're not doing that, and that's the end of the discussion. Right. And so those kids don't really learn how to advocate for themselves. Um, how to succeed in situations that they might might find themselves in in the future um, with some type of authority figure. And so, um, but they do get to be a kid. So I think, you know, being able to really take our kids seriously and treat them as, you know, as equals, um, while also not overscheduling them, I think there's a possibility for kind of taking the best of those both worlds.
0: Yeah, I think, I think that's absolutely right. Um, and I think that's a perfect segue into discussing home learning and full-time employment, especially when both, if you're a dual income family Mm -hmm. of both parents at home working, how to make that work? How do you make it work? And what are some creative solutions for dual working families um, to make this kind of thing happen so that they could Mm -hmm. maybe adopt the best of both worlds?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I think there are are many, (laughs) many different options. So First of all, there are a lot of parents who are making it work. Like the work at home mom phenomenon has <laughs> has really caught on. And, you know, my hat is off to people who are making that work. But I also think as a culture we, we really do need some more recognition that it's extremely difficult to do two jobs well at the same time. And parents need support. You know, they need yeah. they need help with childcare if they're also doing two uh, full time jobs or even part time. So I really recommend, you know, getting the community involved in some way, whether that looks like having a friend, you know, paid help or a friend or a relative or a drop off program or, you know, something. And so we've used a combination of all of these things depending on the year. Um, So Mm -hmm. this past year we had um, a little pod with another family. And so we would do um, kid swaps where some days the kids would go over to their house and some days they'd go over to our house. And that way we had a little bit of freedom um, to um, have a little bit of time to pursue our own interests and the kids would get some some friend time. Um, The year before we um, hosted we've actually hosted au pairs for several reasons for several years as well Um, so this is kind of like a a foreign nanny it's kind of a cross between a nanny and an exchange student. What is
0: that like? (laughs) (laughs)
1: It's, It's been really great yeah we've had some great au pairs you know we still keep in touch with them and some of them have come back to visit since completing yeah. their year with us. So it's been, yeah, it was, it was really great, especially when our kids were younger. Um, you know, we were leaned heavily into the whole attachment parenting thing. So my kids mm-hmm. were like glued to me 100% of the time. <laughs> so <laughs> it was pretty hard for me to leave. And like we tried with my oldest had, you know, like a, a babysitter type person come in and then I would have to leave. And it was just not fun. It was just really, really stressful to try to pry pry this toddler off of me. <laughs> Um, And so once we entered the au pair program, it was like this person already lives with us and the kids are super familiar with them. And, and so it was, it was really nice at that age. I think now, now that they're nine and seven, it would still be great. It's just that I think if a babysitter came and wanted to play with them, they'd be like, great. See you later. (laughs) um, Yeah. Yeah. I
0: was reading a little bit about, um, about the au pair, um, and, I didn't realize it actually was somewhat accessible to middle class families. Yeah. Um, if you were talking about having childcare for multiple children, because childcare facilities are really expensive. Exactly. Yes. Um, so I, re- I was reading just how, how attainable it actually was for middle class families. And I thought, wow, that's way more um, attainable than, than I ever imagined. Um, and then I just exactly. it got me thinking about other solutions, you know, like different daytime cares um, and drop off programs, and like you mentioned, the like having a buddy family. It's so important to to be able to tap into your community. Community based mm-hmm. solutions are where it is at. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Multi generational families are, yeah. you know, I think there's also a lot um, of of healing I think happening in our generation where we are like kind yes. of trying to. Um, address some grievances around the way we were raised. Um, and I think That's for a lot true. of people in our generation, we're not wanting to just like cut our families out. So including those people in the changes and asking them, you know, to, to call them in, you know, and yeah. have them be a part of what you're doing. Um, and also all of the, the different efforts I think on a grassroots level toward like pods and co-ops and micro schools and just updated versions of the old are incredible. Exactly.
1: Yeah, exactly. I think everybody has the stereotype of homeschoolers. I think it's maybe that stereotype is starting to die, but it's still yeah. out there that you're just like in your own home, recreating school and you don't see any other kids and it <laughs> doesn't work that way for anybody. You know, if people have concerns about homeschooling based on that stereotype, it's no wonder because you know, that, that wouldn't work at all.
0: I know. So true. And um, it's, I think it's, it's extending beyond homeschooling even because I know, you know, with the pandemic having happened, so many folks are questioning school. Why were they there? What were they doing there? Is it beneficial? Can they make things work at home? And for people that can, um, I think they're looking into those ways of doing things. And it's just really cool to keep up with how communities are, are changing. There's a Montessori school in New Haven, Connecticut, that's getting up and running. Um, I think I don't remember. I think it's called Sankofa Learning Center. And it's like an African centered Montessori ecosystem school. Oh, cool. It's so rad.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and it's just awesome. the
0: coolest thing to see these, these things coming in and going, you know what, we're, we're ready to flip things upside down and just do things different. And I exactly. love that. There's so many options today. There really are. There really are. Um, if anyone that's listening to the podcast is doing this kind of community work, please reach out. Cause I would really love to chat and hear about this kind of community work. Cause it's incredible.
1: Yeah, community is where it's at. I think that's, that's the future of education and the future of the world. Yeah.
0: Speaking of being back in community, um, we're all heading back out into the world. Things are starting to feel a little bit more, a little bit more normal. Um, And I kind of want to ask guests going forward, what do you think you're going to leave behind from the way things were pre-COVID and what might you take with you going forward that's new? Oh, yeah, that's a great question. So
1: um, one thing I really realized is my so um, I've been reading, I just recently finished this book about the orchid and the dandelion and learning about how different kids operate, the majority of kids are not sensitive souls, but about one in five or so are. And mm-hmm. I have one of those sensitive kids who's kind of an orchid or maybe a tulip, which is kind of a, a mix between the two. Um, so that's my youngest. So the rest of us in the family are dandelions. And I think this year really crystallized for me kind of the needs of my youngest in particular, because even though I really strive not to over schedule, I think we were still kind of living a little bit over of an overscheduled life for mm-hmm. my youngest and having all of this downtime really kind of I think it was like a big exhale for her she was just like okay phew I can finally relax and she's just been you know when I think the the orchids the sensitive souls when they're thriving they're really amazing you know they're just so kind and loving and thoughtful mm-hmm. and gentle and it really brings out the best in them to to have this low-key environment whereas when you get them stressed it's like whoo then it's just a non-stop battle so even though you know even though I, I thought I was already guarding against overscheduling, I realized that we have some more room to go and really making sure to prioritize just kind of having some downtime and rest. So that's definitely one thing I'm going to take
0: from this. (laughs) Rest is so important. so important. Um, I think we got, we got a lot of rest and everybody needed a different amount of rest, but Mm -hmm. I think we've also noticed that not necessarily that we needed to slow down specifically for any one person but that we were just kind of going and going mm-hmm. and going and it just never really stopped um and uh, one of the posts that you made recently that I commented on when you were talking about like overscheduling and how like we're kind of going back into um back into life and I don't remember what exactly the post was but I commented like whatever it is that I think I can do, I'm going to scale it back by about 50%. <laughs> that's so true. <laughs> and that's my target. That's my target number. <laughs>
1: exactly. Because um, you're always like, okay, here's our schedule. It's going to be very, you know, it's going to be like restful and relaxed. And you're like, ooh, here's this class. or are like, here's this activity. Yeah. And then...
0: <laughs> <laughs> it adds up. I was mm-hmm. listening to um, an interview. I don't know if that was today or yesterday, but, but the like editor-in-chief of Parents Magazine, I think it was talking about, kind of snapping back into fast life and how there just has been a lack of easing into this we just like suddenly it suddenly happened yes it's like the um, gates were open and- yeah and we're just like full speed ahead and I feel like for some people they're probably like yes I can't wait and for other people for probably a variety of reasons they're like hold on hold on <laughs> exactly let me get my bearings let's see what's going on but then you're almost thrusted into it right because sports are picked back up and everything is just kind of picking back up so you just got to jump in but I think learning like you haven't
1: seen in a while you're trying to get people and yeah
0: so much time you want to make up for right there's so much you want to make up for
1: yeah
0: um so before we wrap up, I, um, wanted to say that I love all of your posts. I love that you. you end your posts with questions. I really, um, okay. So I should admit that when people write really long Instagram posts or blog posts, I will admit that sometimes I don't read them because they're really long, <laughs> yeah. but yours, I always read and I always get to the bottom. Cause I want to know what question you're asking. <laughs>
1: I love hearing that. Thank you.
0: I like that you have this community approach of like not saying what you think everyone should or wants to hear, but just putting something out there and being like, what do you think? Let's talk about this.
1: Yeah, we all have something to learn from each other. So I like to get some discussion going if I can.
0: Yeah. So that's what I was going to ask is what inspires you to kind of leave it open ended and ask a question.
1: We we all have, like I said, we all have something to learn from each other, even if it's people that we don't necessarily agree about every single thing with. You know, I, I read this quote once that was something like, if two people agree on absolutely everything, then one person is doing all of the thinking. And I think it's so true. You know, like we, we're all bringing some different ideas to the table. If you're bringing ideas to the table, they're not going to be exactly the same as somebody else's. And sometimes, you know, there are people out there who, you know, I'm not going to do things exactly the same way they are, but seeing their approach, I'm like, hmm, you know what, yeah, that, that part of it does actually work for us. And so we can take these little pieces and, you know, see how different people are approaching different things and find a way that works for us. Because, you know, as I said, it's all, it's all trial and error. And so we have an idea of kind of what we're trying to create maybe, but, but the more information we can get from other people, the more we can learn from, from our community, I think the better off we'll be. And, and, you know, nobody has it all figured out no. even you know being in academia, there's obviously very smart people there who are very interested in, their particular area and you know I think on social media also people get very specialized into you know like mm-hmm. here's the people who know about money and here's the fashion people and the you know food people and so Um, you know everybody has something different that they're even in education everybody has a slightly different approach that they're bringing to the table and I think we can get a little bit siloed into thinking like oh well this person's you know like too structured of a homeschooler this person's too much of an unschooler and I think we actually benefit a lot more from seeing what we have in common and what we can learn from each other instead of spending time thinking about how you know our approach is superior.
0: Yeah absolutely I think that's kind of the shift this um, this podcast is taking is not to only spotlight people who call themselves unschoolers, but really to spotlight life without school in the like all the ways that it looks. My mm-hmm. particular, you know, approach is unschooling, and and even before that, a, a connection with my children and, and a, a solid relationship with them. Which you could throw the unschooling stuff out, and we would probably still kind of be doing that without knowing that that's what we were doing. If we're just focused on like having a good, healthy relationship with our children and and watching them thrive. Mm -hmm. So inviting lots of people in to have a conversation about this and learning about different ways people are doing it and just hearing from us. Cause I read something about statistical data recently. Um, There was some like homeschooling conference situation happening with, I think Harvard university, like in the last week or two where they were doing like this big conference talking about, Homeschooling, mm-hmm. you know, post COVID and like all of these academics are coming at it from different angles and, you know, analyzing it, criticizing it, you know, trying to try to figure out what exactly we're doing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the data on homeschoolers is so very little. There are just yeah. not a lot of people who volunteer to talk about how they're homeschooling, what they're doing um, in their home learning. And so I feel like as a community, we should just talk about it amongst ourselves. Maybe we don't want to be data, but representation matters and people being able to see that they're not the only ones living life without school is so important to me. I think that's super important. Yeah. It's a great project that you're, you're doing with that.
1: Yeah. Just sometimes hearing that you're not the only one, sometimes all it takes is hearing that one other person is doing something that you were thinking about and you're like, Hey, you know what? I think it's going to be okay. Yeah. And absolutely, if you're thinking about studying homeschooling, any situation you're trying to understand, the people with the lived experiences, you've got to go to them to figure out what's happening. Um, Typically, you know, there there is some research on homeschooling. Typically, homeschoolers tend to do extremely well. They, you know, they outperform public school students, but you also have to factor in the fact that most homeschoolers are, you know, have a lot of privilege that is also supporting those really stellar outcomes. A lot of them have, you know, two-parent families, the stay-at-home parent, um, and so, you know, just having a really a parent who has the opportunity and desire to be super involved with their kids, you know, and that's going to make a kid succeed.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Whatever path they're choosing, you know, exactly. whether they're in a brick and mortar school or they're doing distance learning or they're an early college entrance student and they're only 14 or 15. I mean, there's just so many ways to do things. There are, uh, yeah. And not to discount like all of the other very hands on ways of getting out into the world. Uh, my partner was one of those people decided to just get out into the world and do hands-on labor and learn through that kind of experience, learn through grit. <laughs> yeah. Um, everybody does it different. So Exactly. I no, I I'm so d- glad to have had you today.
1: <laughs> thank you. Do you yeah, want to yeah, share you, with too. everyone
0: where they can find you?
1: Sure. Yeah. So my blog and social media name are Raising Wildflower Kids. So, you can find me at raisingwildflowerkids.com for my blog name. I'm also on Instagram and on Facebook as Raising Wildflower Kids. So, pretty simple all the way around. It's just Raising Wildflower Kids.
0: Yeah. Are you offering um, coaching sessions? Did I see that on your website? Are you yeah, still? I've that? actually kind of,
1: yeah, I, I haven't done a whole lot of it. I've done a little bit of it, but yeah, just, you know, with everything that's happened this year
0: and <laughs> things that. Yeah.
1: But if somebody's super interested, um, yeah, I'd be happy to work with people.
0: Cool. Well, if anybody's listening um, and is interested in this approach and wants to talk to Nina, definitely reach out to her and I'll put all of that um, information in the show notes. Thank Thank you you so much for chatting with me today, Nina. I really enjoyed this conversation and I can't wait to share it.
1: Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. It was a lot of fun.
0: Thanks That you enjoyed that conversation. Uh, Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Time is precious, so giving that little bit up to uh, come here and listen to how folks are living life without school means so very much to me. I'm so grateful to Nina for taking the time to share her approach. Y'all, please be sure to check out her blog, follow her on Instagram uh, for some really thought provoking and engaging content around parenting um, and sometimes parenting ourselves. I didn't even get to everything I wanted to chat about. There's some really good um, blog posts around uh, screen time and a screen time Sabbath on her blog. You should definitely check out. And I think she also has some really good perspective on folks who are kind of straddling academia and how you could really get that done in very little time Um, and she even breaks it down on based on her local school district and sort of how they time things and will really make you feel much more comfortable with a lot of the wasted time uh, that often happens in institutionalized schooling so um, check that out as well if you found anything in this episode relatable um, and would like to share as usual. There's a square for every episode over on the Instagram page at the unschoolfiles, and you can comment there. I always welcome direct messages or emails. You can email me at the unschoolfiles at gmail.com. Also, I built a website. Yay! The unschoolfiles.com um, is secured and it is mine, and I have been working very, very tirelessly on it um, and teaching myself new things. I'm really not that tech savvy, so I'm really proud to share it. So go check out the unschoolfiles.com for all things related to um, the podcast. And there's a contact form there if you'd like to reach me in that way. And all of those ways are perfect for it if you'd like to be a guest on the podcast. So um, I would love to hear from you if, if that is you. Until next time, friends, stay kind to each other.